All right, hello and welcome to episode 87 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast with me, Stephen Hill, and him, Renfrey Dedman, over there in sunny London town. How's London, Renfrey? I, I bloody miss it. I miss London. London's wonderful. Um, outside, I can see no one. Uh, I can see a bunch of scaffolding. Um, uh, oh, and the apocalypse. Um, but apart from that, it's uh, That's coming, isn't it? Yeah, it's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, London, London is generally fine. Less busy than normal, mm. which you'd probably like. It's quite nice from that yeah. point of view. But I haven't been getting out all that much. How about you? Um, I've been having. It's, I'm all right. I've, somebody came and cleared my garden yesterday. I something you, I've never divulged on this podcast. But oh, the dear. garden to my mum's house Middle was class. like some sort of weird no not middle class at all it looked like something from fucking lord of the rings my mum's garden it's the most overgrown insane kind of narnia that you could ever possibly imagine so i just had to pay some guy to go see all of these trees so right we got a um or she got a shower as a lot of um people when as they're approaching the the sort of the, the twilight years tend to get rid of their baths because they're hard to get out of and just get a shower she's got a shower unit put in took the bath out rather than get rid of the bath put the bath in the garden and planted palm trees in the bath right sorry so, this was your mum's idea or oh yeah right right yeah. right 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 good for, yeah, good recycling there i mean the whole back garden part was like some sort of weird shangri-la <laughs> we just got rid of it all and there were about a thousand birds just stood on the concrete going you fucking have a lot of my house you've just got rid of my entire like city just like gone um you know so what, that's that, what i've been doing that does sound like the sort of thing that my mum would have done so mm. yeah 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 mums hey yeah <laughs> yeah uh anyway uh that's what that's what i've been doing essentially and going for long walks in the field it's been quite nice but i understand there's just not really a lot for anyone to do. So news-wise, we have nothing. But while you're in, and we're not going to keep going on about the fact that you're in, but you're in, aren't you? So you should sign up for Musicism, who are our good friends. Uh, go to musicism.net. You can sign up for all of their courses, including, as I mentioned last week, a new course for guitarists covering advanced scales and chords, perfect for writing more complex and interesting chord progressions and also improving your skills as an improviser. Uh, we did a little skit last week about improvising, didn't we, Renfrew, oh, you and I? It was, went quite badly. I, I, I was going to say it just proved that we didn't need the course, but you do. So uh, sign up to those courses at Musicism and get 25% off with the code RIOT in the checkout. In capitals, yeah. Oh, yeah, that. it has been Good, yes. So on the show this week, we're going to be reviewing new albums from Testament, from Maserati, from Pigs, 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 and from Tatema. Plus, in Broken Records, our next entry into finding the worst album of all time comes from X Factor bronze medalist Eogan Quigg and his self-titled debut record. Um, that is not a reflection on the direction that this show is taking. Uh, <laughs> just to warn you i um, would like we will explain why that album is in there in a little bit i would like to point out to listeners that steve is pronounced mispronouncing his name on purpose please don't tweet us it'll be quite <laughs> yeah. boring but steve steve is doing that on purpose he finds it funny i find it vaguely amusing i'll probably just call him owen but yes well it's not his name his name's the organ that's how he spells uh, his name the organ e-o-g-h-a-n it is bizarre. Is, I mean, some of those the organ. some of those Irish 
pronunciations, pronunciations, I mean spellings for stuff are absolutely crazy. What the hell are they doing? They're crazy. And I'm happy to respect most of them, but not his. <laughs> In fact, if I met someone else whose name was spelt like this and said, my name's Owen, and then they spelt I'd go, hi, Owen, but this guy... Is he yogging? We'll talk about his name later on, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, that's coming up in a bit. He's more um, of an yogging than he is an Owen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although he is owing me about 40 minutes of my life back. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> That's great. Uh, going to our Patreon page, we just want to say again a massive thank you for everyone who has signed up already at our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash right act podcast, for the £5 tier. It's been really nice to see the amount of people that have got involved and have said very nice things about the classic albums series that we have yeah. been doing recently. Um, the Guns N' Roses one went out for free. That's Renfrey picking Use Your Illusion 2. Uh, my pick was Marilyn Manson's Antichrist Superstar. And um, that is up on our Patreon page now from Monday, I believe, when this podcast goes out. We'll be putting out the Pink Floyd's The Wall uh, podcast that we've been teasing for a little while now. That's coming next week. Is that right? Part one. Part one. Yeah, part one of that is coming next week. And um, after that, you'll be getting Renfries in Rainbows and OK Computer Chat. And we've also had a little discussion about what's coming after that as well, because we just kind of picked four to begin with. But coming up quite soon is, I think you want to do Rated R by Queens of Stone Age is one that yeah. you want to do quite soon. Yeah. We're going to be doing, um, I've picked Funhouse by the Stooges and I've picked Roots by Sepultura. Was there, was there another one that you, you picked? Uh there most certainly will be, but I can't recall what it was off the top of my head. <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head what it was either. But anyway, yes, so those are going to be coming every other week for the people on the £5 tier. So you're going to get two of them a month. Um, and we are going to continue from basically the second this podcast finishes. We're going to be recording a bunch more Rioters reviews, uh, including the likes of Porcupine Tree and No Devotion, um, are, are going to be getting put up as soon as we possibly can. We've just done Screaming Trees. Um, we've done, I think we've mentioned it every week. For God knows how long now. Nick Cave, Bonivere, Oasis, Typo Negative, Cattle Decapitation, Devin Townsend, The Misfits, The Manic Street Preachers, and more are already up there on our Patreon page if you just want to pledge any amount of money. So we uh, we really appreciate your commitment to that. There, has, there has been a short delay on those. Uh, and I'm just going to hold my oh, hands up. Oh, here we go. Here. here we go. I'm just going to hold my hands up. This isn't interesting, but basically uh, I had to reinstall Windows on my home computer over the weekend. Steve, mm. as you know. How long did it take? Three days. Um, Three days! Now... Well, okay. Have you got fucking Bertha, your computer? I, like, what the fuck? Is it that I computer did, from Superman 3? I didn't want to go... <laughs> what, the walking robot one? <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to go into it. Uh, it, it, it. Basically, long story short, it emerged that I had a corrupt hard drive. So the reason it took so long is because I kept trying to reinstall it onto a corrupt hard drive. And after Ooh, three days... Oh, and after three days I went, ah! that's the problem so um mm. yes when i should have been editing shit i was throwing shit at my computer so i apologize about that but i'm gonna get on it this week because i've got Good. nothing else well, to do neither have i to be honest <laughs> that's um, why i reinstalled windows in the first place i was like fuck i'll do it for a crack we'll hopefully do some um some more stuff live on our instagram page we've not really spoken about our instagram page but if you go to right act podcast on instagram and find us um just last night as we are recording so it will be 
three nights ago for when this podcast comes out. Um, We had M from Nervous uh, come on live on our Instagram page and perform a a set of of her doing acoustic hits the very best of Nervous live, um, (laughs) playing on the the main stage, as she pointed out. (laughs) Uh, She kind of mocked up a Reading and Leeds main stage with, with her on it uh came onto the strains of the red hot chili peppers can't stop which mm-hmm. i thought was a nice little sort of nod it's to a lovely nod to inexplicable love of the red hot chili peppers um <laughs> and thoroughly entertained everyone so yeah we, we want to say thank you for em for being an innovator and being excellent i, I am going to fess up at this point a little bit right so i was all primed and ready to to watch it and three minutes before she came on our, our live feed Gill from X of James Gill, formerly from Metal Hammer, phoned me and I couldn't get him off the phone. So I, I did miss most of it. But what I saw, I really enjoyed. Thank you, Em. I appreciate it. But that's, you o- that's it. okay because you can go back and watch it if you go to our Act Instagram page. So you can watch it. Yeah, we've saved you like. it. So that's good. Um, and hopefully and... we'll get. We'll get more people doing it soon, maybe. Maybe we're in discussions I'm with even other gonna... people to do something similar. I'm going to say this right now, Steve. Oh, okay, we, we have literally been talking to people. That's all I'm going to say. Mm. It's enticing. So there'll be more. Yeah, be more of that coming. So, um, yeah, that's exciting. I, I, I would do live reviews and news and stuff at this point, but there is no news and there are no live reviews. There will be no news or live reviews for the rest of time, I don't think. Yeah, the way next year. So <laughs> keep listening until next year, and mm. you might be able to hear some, which yeah, will be, be exciting. So we might as well just bang straight into reviews, I think. And we're going to start by reviewing the brand new album from Testament, the 13th studio album from the Thrash Metal Titans, the first album since Brotherhood of the Snake back in 2016. And interestingly, Renfrey, I don't know if you were made aware of this, it is the first album since Ritual way back in 1992 that has had two albums back to back with the same lineup in Testament. I I was aware of that, yes. Mm. In the press and notes. when you consider, yes, it did. <laughs> and when you consider this uh, lineup is Peterson and Skolnick on guitar, Hoglan on drums, DiGiorgio on bass, and obviously Chuck Billy on vocals, that seemed pretty significant to me because um, Testament as a lineup at the moment are like a kind of underground metal version of the Avengers, even though I don't watch that shite. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't really know what I'm talking about. But they are, they are you know. to all intents and purposes, they are a super group at this point. They are. Pretty much. But a really fucking good one as well. Um, what are your feelings on Testament generally? We've not really um, discussed them on this show that much. No, well, I was going to get mine out of the way first because I have a little inkling as to what yours is, actually, which I think oh. is quite interesting. So um, here's the thing, right? I think there's so much choice in thrash metal, uh, especially for a genre that doesn't really have a lot of scope for experimentation. It's quite a rigid, dare I say it, formulatic, uh, yeah, yeah, formulaic genre in in many formulatic. many ways. I think formulaic, formulaic. What did I say? Formula- formulatic. Is formulatic. <laughs> not a word. That was good. Um, yeah, let's go down uh, as an episode so you, title. Thank you. Um, so if Eogan is formulatic, <laughs> <laughs> write that down. Definitely write that down. Um, so anyway, if you're a fan of thrash metal, there obviously are a lot of acts that are vying for your attention, and I think they. They don't strictly have a lot that sort of sets them apart from each other in the main. I feel like the big four 
have basically got you covered when you think of the type of thing that thrash metal does i think you've i would mostly got all of it covered in that those four bands essentially i would strongly yeah? agree with this yes yes yeah yeah fair enough um and then of course there's testament who kind of sit just outside that big four of often referred to as the additional fifth member of a big five by many people um but as a a fan of metal and a fan of thrash metal um i do listen to well three of the big four quite a lot anthrax i wouldn't say i listen to as much although i've had periods where i do but if i want to kind of dip outside that i usually find myself listening to exodus or creator or actually i I go to quite a lot of the, the sort of younger bands the havoc municipal waste power trip um then i do the kind of the overkills or the testaments or um death angel or, or something like that that they're bands that i don't always go for um which is weird i mean formation of damnation in in testament's case is the one where <clears throat> i think they were really good and i did give uh-huh. the testament quite a lot of attention at that time but every time i listen to them for example a mate of mine about 10 years ago lent me the gathering which i hadn't heard at the time because obviously it came out around the new metal years and I was like, this is fucking brilliant. And every time I listen to Testament, I have a jolly good time. A jolly, jolly good time. Yep. But I don't listen to them loads, if I'm honest. Um, but you, Renfrey, you like them, don't you? I like them very much. I was um, introduced to Testament by uh, an old work colleague of mine. Um, and it was around the time that the formation of Damnation came out. So everyone was kind of like back on the Testament train because like most bands of their era, they had a um, a, a tricky 90s, although actually a far more interesting 90s than a lot of people would give them credit for. And then they came back, I think it had been seven years. I think they had mm. gone on hiatus, hadn't they? They did, yeah. Yeah, so I think they came back from hiatus, released Formation of Damnation, which is one of those records which really we should be talking about in the same way that we talk about, well, in my opinion, the way we talk about Endgame. Um, yeah. The way we talk about, well, rather, great latter-day thrash metal records from from veteran acts, I'm trying to think. You know, I, I think it, I think it's up there with, with, with the Endgames of the world, basically, in terms mm. of a latter-day... The fact that you can only think of one says it all. Really, says quite it? a lot about the output of Slayer, Metallica, Megadeth, yeah. and Anthrax over the past yeah. sort of fifteen years. Yeah, and this um, ex-work colleague of mine, we were just uh, backstage, backstage, goodness me, but out the back at Waterstones. <laughs> my my whole life's the stage. Uh, <laughs> we were uh, out the back at Waterstones. And he put uh, Formation of Damnation on. I was like, what is this? This is awesome. And he was like, this is a New Testament record. Just one of those bands that I'd never really bothered to check out. And um, after hearing the Formation of Damnation, I was like, whoa, I need to go back in on this band. So he lent me a bunch of records. But interestingly, he almost did a Stephen Hill in a way. And rather than giving me the, um, the, the classic albums, he gave me like different parts of their career and said well they did this at this point and then in the 90s they went here because there was an album i don't like that insinuation what what, what exactly is that meant to mean well whenever you used to give me stuff on uh trade-off 
you'd often go for like the weird or, or, or an album that was controversial for some reason or something like that because it's far more interesting oh, right. to talk well, about. Oh, yeah. You mean the, the, the point of the whole feature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am talking specifically about that feature, but never mind. Um, so, yeah. So one of the records he gave me, I'm looking at their discography because I'm trying to remember the name of it. I think it was either Low or Demonic where it's basically Chuck Billy's just doing death metal growls throughout. Um mm looking at the covers and i think it's low but i might be totally wrong um and to me just i think he gave me the new order low and formation of damage nation or something like that and all three of them sounded really very different within this quite um narrow field which just instantly made me very very interested in them i think weirdly um i mean formation of damnation came out in 2008 probably 10 years before that i felt like i'd probably listened to all the new thrash metal that i needed to for my entire life so i never yeah. got it you know because it's so narrow uh you know i'd listened to at that point i'd listened to every single thing the big four had ever done pretty much at least once you know probably maybe bar a couple of anthrax records um so it was almost as if I wasn't really looking for new thrash, but I feel like if I had been, I I definitely feel like if I'd got into, if I'd got into Testament around the same time as I'd got into Metallica and Slayer, you know, they could be, I wouldn't prefer them to Metallica, but, but after that, it's quite tricky to, wow. to put them somewhere. Um, mm. I certainly listening to this record just to sort of, uh, put more evidence behind that opinion i was listening to this record and thinking certainly in terms of vocals and vocals alone i think it's difficult to argue that bar james hetfield chuck billy is the best vocalist of the out of the big five quote unquote is he not uh he's certainly better than joe belladonna and dave mustaine absolutely um i thought john bush might be your one oh john we're bush. Not to, hmm. go on well i mean i think Tom has a uh, such a recognizable voice, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so does Chuck Billy, though. The, the, Chuck Billy does, but I think Tom even yeah he does. But I think Tom gives Slayer like it's the voice that Slayer need his voice. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. Wouldn't to kind argue of with that. Really, really <laughs> set them apart. So I think Chuck Billy probably is. It's probably more versatile, mm -hmm. um, but I don't think he's qu he hasn't got got quite as utterly unique a tone and um, uh, approach. I don't think as Tom, who I don't think anyone else really sounds like Tom Araya, to be honest. But yeah, isn't it? The, the, yeah, there's... John Bush is great as well. John yeah. Bush is you know I love the John Bush Anthrax stuff, but again I think John Bush is a, just a good vocalist. Where mm -hmm. I think Chuck Billy even on this record you can see that he's capable of many things yeah exactly i just think um i i accept everything you're saying with tom mariah i i feel like he is the best possible vocalist for slayer but in terms of who is the better vocalist overall i think it would be hard pushed to not give it to chuck really um uh, but mm. you know we could go on about this for ages but it's not strictly we what we're talking about um no but yes, basically, yes, I like Testament very much. I think they are a good band. I don't, when they release a new album these days, I don't sort of anticipate it and wait months and months for it to come out or anything like that. 
um, with massive, massive excitement, but I will definitely, definitely check it out. And there aren't many thrash bands, particularly of that era, that I can say that of, really. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I that was one of the... They, it's got to the point where whenever one of these bands release a new album, I am like just getting ready to be disappointed a little bit. Um, yep. And I think that's probably a little bit unfair on Testament because I don't think they've done anything bad for as long as I can remember. They've definitely not done anything that I think is bad since the sort of... Oh, well, it's a long, long time. That Probably the early 90s. There's a few of the ones in the, the sort of post-Black Album era that are a bit soft... Um, mm. I always used to think that if anything, they went heavier. That's something that I always admire. I mean, I don't know their career well enough to be able to um, pinpoint which points they did. But one thing that I liked about Testament is post the Black Album, everyone tried to do their version of the Black Album. And I think Testament did as well. But they also, yeah. around the end of the 90s, they they tried, they went, right, let's go in like a death metal direction. Yeah, well, um, I was going to say the gather. I mean, if you go into sort of like the the gathering being the one that I listen to, that everyone now kind of claims is this, you know, this lost classic. Uh, I knew nothing about it at all when it came out, but when I heard it, like I say, it's about ten years ago. I was like, "Fucking hell, this yeah. is really great." I don't even remember people talking about it yeah. at the time. No, I think no, no. Like three Ks in Kerrang, but yeah, but way, way before. I think before, way before that, like everybody did a, you know like you say everyone went a bit more hard rock um yeah. like in the early part of the 90s and i think you know there's a few testament songs at least where it's you kind of go how is this testament um it's like ba full-blown ballads <laughs> do you know what i mean it's, it's mm -hmm. but everybody did i mean everybody did just some people did it a little bit better than others basically like metallica and then everybody else but this record i mean that you know like you say it's a long time ago and again i think this record two minutes in it's chugging double bass pedal talking about nuclear warheads and that's like the first song proper which is world war three and you just go nice thrash metal yeah, the old guard of thrash metal doing really good thrash metal ace it's weirdly old school this record and yet sounds very very modern which really is probably what you want from a band of this era these days isn't mm. it you kind of mm -hmm. want them to hark back to the old sound a little bit without pushing themselves too far beyond actual ability considering that they're now older and all that sort of stuff but mm. actually obviously when you have uh you know like gene hoglin on drums and stuff maybe you don't need to worry too much about ability no, um really. yeah i think this is a pretty damn good record um let's get some negatives out of the way it's too long yeah. uh it is 58 minutes and 35 seconds too long um although i will say i was kind of listening to it and I don't think I would take songs off of it so much as I would be tempted just to edit, you know, take out a chorus here, take out that verse there. That middle eight is a bit pants there. There's a couple of songs in the middle, which I feel are a little bit too long. Like they try and do everything you like, like Night of the Witch was the first single and it kind of makes sense to me that it was the first single because it's basically all the stuff you ever liked from Testament splodged into a kind of six minute song but doesn't need all that stuff and yeah. it doesn't need to be that long um yeah, i think there's a couple 
there's a couple on that little period. What's the other one that's quite long as well? The um, si- yeah, City of Angels, which yes. is again nearly seven minutes long, um, and it starts like a kind of it's got a sort of Pantera vibe at the start to it. It's got a kind of groove metal vibe to it. The the, the start of that song. Um, which is cool. It's not as regimented as a lot of thrash bands tend to be, but I think it it would have a lot more impact if it was three and a half minutes long rather than nearly seven minutes long. Personally. Yeah, agreed. There's actually three songs on here which surpass the six minute mark by quite quite a way as well. Um, and I think that just says to me that there are, if they just trimmed bits here and there, kill your darlings, you know, if you just like as I say, trimmed this chorus, trimmed that verse. Um, you could have had a, an album which hit with a lot more punch and a lot more... Uh, I just would have been tighter and better, wouldn't it? I mean, I I feel like all that needs to come off this record is is maybe, you know, maybe get it down to the 50-minute mark rather than 58 minutes. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm not saying it's like a disaster in terms of length, but it is too long. And I'd probably argue that all of testament's records even probably in this quite fallow period um of the of since formation of damnation they've probably all been a little bit too long to be fair um but yeah it's just always a thing that they've had um there is uh, there is one exception in terms of a song that i wouldn't mind taking out um i really don't get on with dream deceiver for some reason um i think it's uh a throwback in not a great way i think it's mainly lyrically just about how she shall come in and steal your dreams kind of i don't know it just it was the wrong side of cheesy for me it's got and it's it's i think it's got a kind of a megadeth vibe to it Mm -hmm. but megadeth with an almost kind of hair metal chorus yes it goes into the point where um I mean, I can't actually remember, but it is a kind of, she's a dream deceiver. It's got, got that kind yeah. of over the top bombastic chorus, which you can imagine, like I say, you can imagine it being a deep purple chorus or something or like Dokken. that. Yeah. It reminded me of, I mean, obviously because dream, dream warriors and dream deceiver, but mm. it does have, I mean, it's a bit better than hair metal. Yeah. And it's better than I've just made it sound, trust me. But mm. I don't think it's absolutely rubbish because it does start with a, but it's, with it, like I say, like a kind of Megadeth style to it. But it's it's not, it's not Rust in Peace Megadeth. It's more no. like Euthanasia, maybe even going up to Cryptic Writings era sort of Megadeth, really. Yeah, agreed. It's not a disaster by any stretch of the imagination, but just putting myself, if I were the producer on this record, I would turn around to them and say, lads, you need to cut about 10 minutes and uh, Dream Deceiver is probably a good start, good place to shout because start because it's five minutes long. So, yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And there's a couple of baffling things. I, I, I wouldn't even ask for this song to be nixed necessarily, but the very last song on the album, Catacombs, it's two minutes long and it's just like an instrumental and sounds all really big and bombastic as if something big is about to happen. And then the record ends, and doing a bit. Yeah, of... it's quite a weird way to end it. I mean, that, that sounds like a, an opening. So well, it's, like the, the... it's funny you say that, Mister Hill, because doing a little bit of internet research, apparently that's what they've been coming out to. That's the that's the music they've been coming out to during the tour for the last album, the um, oh, Brotherhood of the Snake. Yeah. So that has been their intro music on the last tour. So to put your intro music for the previous album's tour at the end of your new album. 
I feel like I feel like I'm Doc Brown trying to explain the plot of Back to the Future. Do you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. Um, That's really weird. You know, it doesn't make it bad, quote unquote, by any stretch of the imagination, but just a little bit like, huh, you're ending like that? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, it is a bit strange. But saying that, I mean, I did think that myself, actually. Um, I think the second half of this record is really good. It's a weird, like, there seems to be a few records this year where I think the second half of this record is way stronger than the first half. Personally. Oh, okay. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, I, I don't agree with that. I don't. Uh, truthfully, I think the quality is quite high throughout, which is part of the reason why I'm being quite reasonable in terms of this. It is too long, but I wouldn't necessarily nix songs because mm. I think the quality is very... I don't think it dips particularly. I think I think I get fed up of being pummeled, if that right. makes sense. So I don't enjoy well, the second I... half as much as the first half, but I'm sure if I swapped them over, I'd probably enjoy it more, if that makes sense. No, I do actually, because I think the okay. first half is pretty standard thrash metal in a good way, in, you know, testament being testament... Like I say, Night of the Witch just sounds like all the stuff they do. I think as World War Three is as typically thrash as you could possibly make it. We mentioned kind of Megadeth and eighties kind of hair metal before, um, and City of Angels. You know, obviously I mentioned Pantera, and that's sort of the one of the few times in the first half where it's not just like thrash. Whereas I think when they do do that groovy thing, there's a song on it called um, The Healers which is track seven. Um, track nine. Track nine, sorry, uh, which I think is really, really good. And it's followed up with a song called Code of Hamubari, which has got this awesome Geezer Butler style bass solo at the start of it, which goes almost tech deathy and a bit Eastern tinge as well. And I think that's wicked. And you mentioned the kind of the Chuck Billy death metal vocal range. I mean, he does do that a little bit on Night of the Witch, but I think there's a song on it called Curse of the Osiris, which is the last, the sort of last proper track on the record. And that is like bordering on going grindcore fast at some points. It goes, it goes super fast and he is, doing that proper like really really extreme metal guttural voice on it as well and i'm sorry i'm sorry to do a quick fact checking santa on you um but because i i had a look into this because i was like hmm that's a death metal growl but it's not chuck billy's death metal growl because i know that death metal album really really well and i looked it up and actually the death metal vocals on um Oh, the single Night of the Witch and yep. Curse of Osiris are actually bassist Steve Dior, DiGiorio. No, sorry. Oh, well, that's made me feel even better about what I was about to say. Cause, oh, good. I mean, my man of the match on this record is Steve DiGiorgio. Oh, nice. Uh, which shouldn't really surprise anyone because he's been in Death, he's been in Iced Earth, he's been in The Bitchery, he's been in Epilduath. He's an, a monster, legendary sort of metal bass player. And, you know, you mentioned like people have a tendency to see Gene Hoglund and go, ah, Gene Hoglund. But I think the some of the bass parts on this album are fucking brilliant. And he's got such a great tone. And that's something actually in thrash metal, you know, famously, I guess as well, you don't always get to hear much bass, do you? (laughs) I think Havoc are one of the few bands where like are a modern band that I've been like, oh, look, slap bass, slap at a bass and groove. And this album's got a lot of groove and it's got a lot of prominent bass parts on it and hearing that steve is the um the man behind the sort of growly vocals as well 
I'm happy with that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's the he's the the killer on this. He's the um, you know, the gold star. I certainly think. Um, I mean, the rhythm section, full stop. Uh, the way that Gene Hoglund and Steve did you remind me of the pronunciation? Sorry, Steve. Di Giorgio. Di Giorgio. That makes sense. Um, the manner in which they lock in together is absolutely machine. The machine position, and yet uh somewhat um, uh, he feels still f- feels human i guess mm. um which i think a lot of modern metal acts really don't accomplish very well yeah um i i, I mean I, I i don't think there's a single bad performer on this record i think i think they no, all not. are doing an amazing amazing job whenever those lead guitars come in they're usually doing something like th- th- I d- it doesn't feel like there's any lead uh it doesn't feel like there's any solos on this album which are there purely for you know just wanking a guitar it feels like every single solo actually lifts the song somewhere where it wasn't previously um so yeah um god i'm being i'm actually being way 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 more um positive i'm sounding way way more positive about this uh album than i uh thought i was going to be because i like this record I don't adore it, um, but I, I do think it's it's very good. Um, it doesn't excite me as much as, say, we did Iris last week. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, they're new blood, so I think there's an element of that which makes me more excited about them as well and all that sort of thing. Um, I don't think it's quite up to Iris levels, but in to- I mentioned last week that we've had a bunch of veteran metal acts release record well there's always veteran metal acts releasing albums to be fair but there's but you know of the ones that we've had in the last sort of three four months this is probably my favorite of the veteran metal acts i'd say yeah undoubtedly for me okay i think you're not going to get a better you're not if a band have got 20 years under their belt and they're in thrash metal oh mind you i might have to rejig that because 30 years i think mm. there's still some because obviously trivium have been around 20 years and we're going to be talking about their album in a couple of weeks but if there have been if you're a kind of an older heavy metal band and you've been around for a long time and you're playing thrash metal i don't think you have any right to be much better than this to be honest mm. Mm. so i mean i wouldn't say you know i feel like i'm being very positive about it when I'm not even sure how much I would go back to this record. But yes, yeah, when exactly. it's on, when it's on, it's fucking great. Yeah. Um, how much do you like, how much do you like thrash metal? How much, um, you know, do you want to listen to that style of music? And because like I say, there's a lot of options out there mm. for you. <laughs> and it, it, for, for this sort of last five years, I'm trying to think of a... Th- like a pure thrash band this would be in the top 10 best thrash records of the last five years if we were going to make that you know if we were going to make that list but then i think it's a kind of quite a short list like nightmare logic by power trip would be the obvious one to go to for me maybe the um iron reagan album as well if you count that as thrash that's more kind of crossover there's not really been a lot of things that i think have been really good and i think this is very good that's the thing but the bar's not that high i think pure thrash 
I mean, you know, this has been talked about to death, but it is a very limited genre and there is only so much you can do with it. So to uh, come out with something which sounds like there's nothing new about this, but it sounds fresh. Do you know, do you, do you know yeah. what I mean by the difference of that? Like it, it, it's, it's, you know, there's nothing new in it at all, but you know, when world, when world war three kicks in and Chuck Billy's channeling and justice for uh, and justice for all era, James Hetfield, I am happy as Larry, you know? Um, mm. And I don't usually say that of uh, bands with such a narrow field of vision, but I, there's just something about Testament. I just really, I think they're fucking great. They're, they're certainly massively mm. underrated. And if you, you know, have checked out the big four and never thought to check out side of those boundaries, most of the time I'd say, yeah, there probably isn't much point. But Testament are one of the bands that you should check out from outside of those um of that big four quadrant i agree yeah it's a good album this very mm. good album yeah um but again i don't think it's good it's not going to sway anyone to becoming a thrash fan no but if you are a thrash fan i think you'll have a lovely time listening to this so that is testament <coughs> uh titans of creation which is out right bloody now right our next album comes from maserati the album is called Enter the Mirror. Um, Maserati are now entering their 20th year as a band. Uh, this is their first album in five years from the Georgian post-rock quartet. Uh, I looked at how many records they had out, Renfrey, and beyond uh, their discography seems fucking gigantic. Um, um, I think this is their seventh album. Uh, as in it's their right. seventh full-length album. But Yeah, because they had a lot of 12 inches and yeah. EPs and stuff. and. But even I'm even I'm struggling to uh, corroborate that, and you know how much of a Nazi I am for this kind of thing. Yeah, which is why I didn't even bother guessing <laughs> how many albums I had out. So uh, yes, they're Georgian. Um, they were meant to be heading out on tour with Caspian uh, recently before everything kind of got locked down, and that that tour got cancelled. Um, but Caspian, of course, Renfrey, a band who you love, uh, mm. your favourite album of the last decade mm -hmm. uh, and a a post-rock band kind of the sort of thing that people would pin you with a little bit that would expect you to love um so i kind of headed into this with that knowledge knowing nothing else about them um i kind of expected something really post-rocky and maybe not that instant and that's not really what i got at all no, I think if you described this album to one of our listeners, you would go, oh, well, that's a Renfrey album. And yet when you hear it, that's a Stephen Hill record right there. Yeah. I mean, I read the press notes to this and it cited Phil Collins solo material and in excess as inspirations, which is not <laughs> something I would usually expect from a post-rock band. Yes, at exactly. All. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. How odd. Yeah, yeah, um they are an odd band. Um just going back to the Caspian thing super quickly, a uh, bit of a confession. I have known of Maserati for uh many years, like at least a decade. Uh, just one of those post-rock bands which I've never really got around to checking out. And um it was actually Caspian quite recently did a podcast series uh for their new album. And when um they they were just asked a sort of you know fairly bog standard question of like why are you an instrumental band why do you not have vocals blah blah, blah. and they were just 
um, reeling off the bands that had influenced them when they were younger. And they said all the usual suspects, the Mogwais, the Explosions in the Sky, the Godspeedy Black Emperors. I mean, I was practically counting them off at this point because I've heard them so many times. But they threw Maserati in there as well. And I was like, oh, that's not a name you usually hear associated with those bands. Uh, not in that tier, certainly. So that just sort of put it into the forefront of my mind. And then lo and behold, a week later, um, I got an email saying, do you want to hear the new Maserati album? So uh, that works out quite nicely. Um, but but this isn't um, quote unquote typical post-rock at all, is it? It's far more, well, there's loads going in on in it. I mean, this is another record which, and it's really startling the amount of records we're getting that have this kind of theme, but this is another um, spacey 80s, soundtrack to a sci-fi film that you've never seen kind of mm. deal isn't it mm. massive yeah. 80s sci-fi I soundtrack mean, vibes so massive 80s sci-fi soundtrack vibes and more as well i'd say 80s stadium rock yes a bit as well yeah I'd yeah, say yeah 80s big pop star vibes on this i mean this is i mean god damn it this is great i thought I, you'd like this i fucking i really really love this and yeah. It's not quite as wild as Aiming for Enrique and that album that we did at the start of the year, which I, I really, really love. But it's just really great in a big, synthy, drive soundtrack kind of way. Um, uh, the, the One of the first tracks on it, A Warning in the Dark, sounds like Love is a Stranger by the Eurythmics, but with weird time signatures, which is exactly the sort of thing that everyone on the planet should be aiming to do um, and adding a cool <laughs> robot voice in it as well. There's a song called Till Killing Time, which sounds like you two being covered by Pussifer. It's ah. so, so great. Nice. Um, there's a song in it called De Honig, which is basically the kind of a well-produced version of the, the sort of music of a, a Sega Mega Drive racing game. Um <laughs> There's a song called Welcome to the Other Side, which could be the score to like a Stallone film like like Cobra. You ever see that? Oh, Black Rain yeah. with Michael Do you know what I mean? It's kind of cheesy and threatening. It's got that like wow like threatening cheesy synth. I I've didn't know down, I didn't know Arnie sang the um uh, the like, soundtrack to Black Rain. <laughs> yeah, get to the let's get in the studio, let's make it happen. Have you seen Arnie and his donkey recently? <laughs> yeah. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> don't be an stay, ass. Stay inside. Stay Come indoors. On. Stay indoors. Don't be an ass. Um, <laughs> I've written down Carpenter Brute, Gary Newman, U2, In Excess, Poison, Craftwork, The Human League, Public Image Limited, and So I Watch You From Afar, Daft Punk, and New Order, amongst amongst others I've written. That sounds, I love like, it. That sounds like a fucking phenomenal band. I love it. I think this is great. Do you know? Do you know? I mean, do, you, do you want to know something which is going to make you love it even more? It's uh, John Congerton. Yeah, mixed by John Congerton. It was what I was mixed by say, John yeah. Congerton. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and yeah, and again, and it's got. Um, I mean, I was about to say, oh, you can tell it is because John, Con but actually, you can't really because John Congerton. I mean, he's he's done so many different weird things over the years that I don't think there is a specific John Congerton sound in the same Absolutely way. Absolutely not. You know, you get an Albini sound or uh, you know a. Um, uh, a Ross Robinson sound, although even that's a bit of a indefinable thing, really. But the, yeah, but the, um, the more I'm learning about Congleton, the more I'm just blown away by him because yes, he doesn't have a specific style at all. 
but everything he touches turns to gold. He's just mm. fucking brilliant, isn't he? Yeah, like he's very, very good. Yeah, he's good. Um, I'm interested in what you think about this Renfrew, you notorious '80s, not denier, but <laughs> sort of. <laughs> I deny. I deny they ever happened. I deny they ever happened. <laughs> yeah, didn't happen. No. I was just alive. Eh? No, didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I was just magically uh whisked into the air on the first of january 1990 and i was uh five years old coming up to five years yeah. old. Yeah. um uh, like, roland rat was never a thing Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> um god would I, I i i really like this i listened to it just going oh my god steve's gonna fucking adore this but i think this is really really good um slightly surprised i might have already mentioned it my memory is that bad slightly surprised you didn't mention teeth of the sea in your list did you mention teeth of the sea maybe you did i didn't mention teeth of the sea okay. i actually think teeth of the sea are almost and i mean this in a to, to this album in a nice way teeth of the sea are almost a little bit too <coughs> serious and a little bit too kind of a, a bit too clever for this, do you know what I mean? A little bit more esoteric and a bit odd. I think this is really instant. Like, actually, I was listening to this when Gil phoned me, and Gil was like, I mean, for those of you who remember Gil being on the old Metal Hammer podcast, um, when he basically just didn't like metal anymore, uh, <laughs> he likes all kind of weird um, sort of drum and bass and jungle. You yeah. know, that's what he likes now. And he was like, what are you listening to? Are you listening to some old hospital records like <laughs> mix from sort of 1989? And I was like, you fucking wish I was. I'm listening <laughs> to some post-rock band, which on the surface is exactly the sort of thing you'd hate. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it it's really instant, I think, this record. And I think Teeth of the Sea are a little bit more difficult to get your head around. And I mean that, as a sort of compliment for both bands really i, I think they're quite different i agree with all of that um i uh maybe it's just the maybe it's just the synth maybe i'm purely just going off the synth or maybe going off the fact that this is predominantly an instrumental band as our teeth of the sea predominantly instrumental um that have just released rec two records that have that kind of 80s sci-fi thing going for them i guess so maybe that's just where I mean, I, I, but then at the same time, I'm not comparing this with the uh, Ties from Nebula album that came out. Which yeah, is... I was going to say, I mean, I think teeth, like in terms of stuff that we have reviewed, I would have two separate categories for Tides of Nebula and Teeth of the Sea and then for this, um, for this and Aiming for Enrique. Ah, interesting. Oh, OK. Yeah, OK. I don't think that's a... I, don't know, I, don't I think, think Aiming for Enrique are a bit more sort of nutty. But I think there's loads, like, both of these records feel like fun. One of them, I mean, Amy from Enrique seems like proper wacky fun. Whereas yep. I don't, Tides of Nebula and uh, Teeth of Steel aren't exactly fun. Um, this has got a bit of a sort of, like I say, and, and so I watch it from afar thing. Like, you always go on about how they're the kind of ultimate party band and stuff. Yeah, and I think that that bit that they've got, that kind of the the joyous wild abandon that they have, I think is... It's on this record, it's just tempered by the fact that it's kind of synthy and robotic. Yeah, maybe you're right. I think you have just hit on something there that I'm not a massive fan of on this record. And it was in the word robotic. Um, 
there aren't many vocals on this record. When they're when they are vocals, they are sort of dressed up in a robot-y, um patch. They they they're given a robotic overhaul thing. Uh, Mogwai have done it in the past, and it's worked very well in the past for bands. Um, always put me off when it comes in on this record. Whenever there's any vocals at all on this album, it puts me off. To be fair, of the oh, how many is it? Seven songs? I think it's seven songs. Yeah, it's seven. Yeah. Of the seven songs, only three of them have vocals, and even those three that have vocals, they're not massively upfront in the mix or anything like that. They're, they're mm. not. They're not like the centerpiece of the the song. And I think it's a taste thing as well. I, I don't think those vocals are quote unquote bad objectively. I just didn't enjoy them personally. Um, do I have anything else negative to say about it? No, not really. I think this is really good. I think this is cool. Um, it's my favorite album of the week. It sounds like Me it too. might be yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a Definitely bit, mine. I'm slightly surprised you've not mentioned a track called Empty which is my personal favourite on the album. Um, there is a bit on Empty which just amazes me so much every time it comes on. It sounds like someone has taken like the analogue old school tape of the song and has started burning it. And the song just sort of slows down and it sounds like it's just going to slow down and end. But instead it just slows down into a different time signature. And I and that's code. Yeah, it's like a beatdown. Like yeah, a breakdown. <laughs> that's yeah, that's good. Code Orange shit. That is like yeah. that is like it's far subtler than Code Orange, but in terms of ability and production now since and all that kind of thing, it is Code Orange levels of fuck me. Like the what they're doing on it is absolutely amazing. Um, I think you know. I mean, I, I'm I'm just quoting from the press release now, but. Uh, Enter the Mirror is Maserati's most compelling melange of triumphant guitar hooks, abstract synth pop and wax tracks inspired noise anthems pretty much sums it up better than I possibly could. And yeah, the mentioning the gated drums of Phil Collins and the chorus drenched guitars of NXS, but put on to this, you know, you could imagine this being the soundtrack to like Dune or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's really fucking cool. I think it's a very 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 good record. Um, and I, I, I've not heard Mas any of Maserati's any other. Uh, goodness me, I've not heard any of other any of Maserati's <laughs> other albums. Thank you. Um, but I suspect that they're all going to sound totally different from one another. I don't think they're all going to sound like this, which I think is great. No, I mean, I would be surprised if you could get the, the reputation of being a post-rock band by sounding like this for too long. I mean, if you were spending well, 20 quite. years making this type of music, you wouldn't be considered a post-rock band. So I would exactly. imagine, yes, you're, you're quite right. Yeah, I think this is great. I think it, it does sound really soundtracky. I'd let it soundtrack whatever. You could have it soundtrack of June. I'd have it as a soundtrack for Terry and June, to be honest. It was that good. Um <laughs> Uh, really, really good. If you like the eighties, then Sophie's you're choice. Have a fucking lovely. Hmm? Sophie's choice. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? Schindler's List. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> um, say the what's, least. What's it? What's it? What's it, what's it Vera Drake. Yeah, get it on that. <laughs> yeah. Happy days. Just cheer everyone <laughs> up. Just, just lift everything. I think Rembrandt. Um, anyway. 
Enter the Mirror by Maserati is out now and you absolutely should listen to it. It's really, really, really good. Uh, let's move on to Pigs, 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 Pigs and their new album, Viscerals. I'm really not going to say their name again because I'm un- under the impression that you're meant to say the name in full. Um, it's annoying as fuck, that name, basically. This is the third album from the Geordie Stoner crew, mostly known for that silly name, I think, but it is a silly name that's got him them quite a lot of attention from quite a lot of places. I recently heard them getting played on daytime radio uh, on BBC Six Music by Marianne Hobbs. Give yep. you some idea of the uh, the success that they've got for whatever reason. Um, I, the cynic in me wonders if it is because they have such a a funny name that they've <laughs> because there's there's a lot of bands that sound like this. I think it is purely down to the name, which is going to sound really really harsh. Um, Pigs Time Seven, as they shall be called from now on in this review, mm-hmm. are a, a, a perfectly fine stoner slash doom act they're 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 actually i'd even i'd say they're good they're very good actually uh but i think that name i think whatever walk of life you come from a band with the name pigs 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 did i do enough pigs uh are are gonna be at the very least intriguing and i think the name alone would be enough for anyone from any walk of life to check them out um and that feels like to me because it feels like they're a band who've been around longer than they actually have because of the success they've had but they've only been around seven years and i was actually quite surprised by that um i would have Mm. thought i thought with the kind of success that they have i thought it would be at least double that and i mean i put that in quite a harsh manner but if you think that's harsh i read a review for this on the skinny uh and they said despite the fact that they clearly know their way around a tasty riff. It's difficult to credit the mainstream success of Pigs Time 7 to much other than their daft name and the semi-ironic devotion it instills in the average BBC Six music listener, which grants them an excuse to rediscover their love for Maiden without losing too much credibility at the PTA meeting. Um, <laughs> which is really brutal. <laughs> brutal. brutal. Yeah. But, I th- I think, but I think that the facts within that statement are generally correct, I would say. Hmm. Yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? Because I think, you know, what we should probably preface this review is, is that we have reviewed a bunch of records that are um, broadly from that doomy, stonery scene that exist in, you know, taking a big riff and doing as much with that riff, that one singular element as you possibly can. And I think this is a band who do that. Again, there's not a lot of shocks on this record. It is a short and sweet experience you know eight tracks just shy of 40 minutes there's some nice odd little things to break it up in there as well like this sort of satanic menu on blood and butter which I actually thought was quite quite funny and quite a, a nice little um, oh I, I don't like that did you not i thought it was just something that was a bit different to sort of break the record up a bit you it, it, you could argue argue it's python-esque um which i suppose it is um it kind of rem- it felt like a bad tool skit. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think they've, for me, it was a sensible place to put it because the one thing that I, <clears throat> the one thing for albums like this and bands of this ilk, for me and my taste, is when they work, is when they get in and they get out. Red Fang get in, they get out. Fu Manchu used to do that very well as well. It'd be kind of big stoner banger, big stoner banger. Three and a half minutes long. 
you know, and they don't, I mean, to be fair, Red Fang do have a few kind of longer tracks and so do Fu Manchu, but they don't send, tend to sit in that spot for a long, 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 no. long time. Unless you are absolutely incredible at this, I'm looking at someone like early Monster Magnet, Dopes to Infinity or Caius. Do you know what I mean? Like Caius can get away with doing a long ass song because they're Caius and they're yeah. fucking incredible. I think unless you are really, really incredible... <clears throat> Just sitting on a riff and letting it swirl around um, and doing the same thing over and over again. I know it's supposed to sort of bring you in, but it rarely does for me. And that song, Blood and Butter, comes after New Body, which is not the biggest offender on this record because it's seven minutes and ten seconds long. There's a song called Halloween Bolson, which is nine minutes long. And what's annoying about it is I feel like this song that what the kind of makeup of the song the riff and the change in pace where it kind of does a sharp left is really good but they stretch it out for nine minutes and they do it over and over again it's like you've done it this is not good enough to keep my attention for nine minutes but it would be good enough for a three minute long song it would make a great three minute long stoner banger but it's not it's not a nine minute long song it's just not <clears throat> weirdly a contemporary act that they remind me of, but a contemporary act who I think do this far, far, far better is Mammothweed Wizard Bastard. Yeah, I mean, I think Mammothweed Wizard Bastard are undoubtedly a far better band, and I think a lot of that is vocals. I actually quite like the the vocalists in uh, in Pigs, 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 Pigs. I do too. Uh, it got a got a touch of um, actually reminds me a little bit, not in what he's saying, but in in how he sounds a bit. It's got the same sort of rawness for, that Joe from Idols has, which I know is not an, is a is a bit of a unusual comparison considering how musically different yeah. they are from each other. But um, that kind of barked, like polemic, is yeah, is is cool and uh, and I think it actually sounds good on like the first two tracks on this. I think are really good. There's a song on it called Crazy in Blood. I think it's good as well. That's nearly five minutes. Well, it's over five minutes actually, and they're really good you know the first two tracks i thought oh this is a really good record but that's that's the thing they are they are actually a really good band like uh, you know they do know their way around a tasty riff they absolutely do um i just feel like they're getting a lot of um they're getting a lot of credit and there's just a lot of other bands who deserve as much credit if not more i i posit the theory to you steve that this band might be the locked noose no, not the knocked loose of the stoner, stoner doom world. Maybe the the locked noose of the stoner world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really struggling with my words today. I do apologise. <laughs> yeah, the knock loose of the stoner scene. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I think, like I say, Crazy in Blood is. I mean, that sounds like a kind of seventies glam rock song that someone spiked with Rehypnol. Like, <laughs> I think it's it's got you know it's got a, that's got a very definite, different vibe to it. And when they do that, I think they are. I genuinely think they're good. But then I think again, like yeah, maybe you're right because I think Not Loose are good at doing hardcore with bits of kind of chunky entombed, like rock like black and rock and roll with yeah. it occasionally or and and you know a big beat down and just taking all the, the good things about hardcore and kind of splashing them together but quite why they're the band is doesn't really make much sense although they're not anymore are they 
Mm. That's gone now. That's well, gone sure. Now, now, was, now underneath is out. I think we can just draw a line under that. I was making an arbitrary um, uh, comparison, but yeah, you know, course, it does yeah. feel like that. It's just that Pigs Time 7 have become massive because they have a really intriguing name, I guess. I mean, the, there are people in, uh, in the underground whose opinion I respect who have been like, oh, have you heard Pigs Time 7? They're fucking incredible. And I'm like, are they? They're they're good. They're good. If they were on at Desert Fest or something like that and there was nothing else on that I wanted to see, I would absolutely go and see them. Well, Um, they they played Desert Fest in 2017 and they went on after Wear Your Wounds, mm. right? And Wear Your Wounds played to a kind of half-full underworld that felt like it was waiting for for them to come on, right? And then I couldn't get back in when pigs 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 came on yeah so i was like oh there's obviously something and that's before i even knew they were yeah really i mean you know i i don't really keep my ear that closely to the ground in this scene particularly because Mm. you know what this is is a band that are adept at doing something that i never really truly love 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 sure and that's just what it is it's Mm. a it's a pretty good band at something, you know, and the only way I'm going to really love a record like this is if it's fucking incredible. And this is not fucking incredible. This no. is just quite good. Agreed. And and also just to chuck something else in there, um, I reviewed their last record, their, their second album for Hammer. Uh, and it's been a while since I've listened to it, but I recall preferring it to this one as well. I don't think there's a lot in it. I don't think it's a massive drop off or anything like that, but... Mm. Um, I was trying to find the copy for my review and I gave it an eight apparently. So I, I, I wouldn't give this an eight. So I'm <laughs> from that alone. I'm thinking, I think I preferred the last one. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, the album's called Viscerals and you know what the band name is. So let's move <laughs> on. Uh, the next album we're going to be reviewing and our final album before we move into Broken Records is from Tetema Necroscape it's the second album by the experimental electro acoustic project fronted by my friend and yours Renfrey Mr. Mike Patton I'd love Good to be old his Mike friend Patton. I don't oh, think he well, would, do you think he'd consider us his friends I doubt it I don't know we've said no, very nice things not. about him I've always said nice things about him. Um, but anyway, he's joined here by pianist and composer Anthony Pateras, uh, Erki Veltheim on violin and drummer Will Guthrie. Their debut album came out in 2014. It was called Geocidal. And this continues on that path of weirdly uncharacterizable sounds kind of melded together, which is, I guess, the sort of thing you would expect Mike Patton to do. Um, Avant-garde did, did you... noise rock is yeah. what I came up with. That's about as close yeah. as I can. Um, oh, actually, did you like Geocidal? <clears throat> and I didn't listen to it. I, I, okay. I'd, I'd actually only just heard of this project uh, as a result of right. this promo. Um, mm. Speaking of Geocidal, Enemy described it as Ronnie size getting spiked with GHB and fed through a wood chipper. Wow, which is also fairly accurate and yet still mm-hmm. not particularly helpful in terms of telling people what this actually sounds like. No, um, not really. There's lots of violin on it. There's lots of synths. There's lots of electronics. There's Mike Patton utilising his full range, I would say. Yeah. Um, this album is 41 and a half minutes. And it does feel as if, I mean, even if he doesn't 
uh, use every single vocal trick in his book. It feels like he uses 95% of them. Uh, you get pretty much every single side of pattern on this record, more or less. Is there, mm. a, is there a side of pattern you can think of that you don't get on this album? There probably are one mm. or two, but... Yeah, maybe. I mean, I was actually thinking, because saying that, it, it's the first time listening to this where I've thought, I wish everything Mike Patton had, has done sort of since Faith No More split up could just be put that he'd done as a solo project as Mike Patton. Mm. So if you can just imagine that Phantom as Mr. Bungle, Peeping Tom, Tomahawk, Handsome Boy Modeling School, Dead Cross, Corpse Flower did with John, um, with Jean-Michel Jean-Claude Vanier, uh, Jean yeah. Um, Lovage and this were all put into the same place. It's got to be the most, that would be the most eclectic, bizarre back catalogue ever, wouldn't it, surely? That and, I was going to say that and Devon Townsend, but it even makes Devon Townsend sound fairly minimalistic. <laughs> yeah, 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 it yeah, really does. yeah. It would give Devon yeah. Townsend a run for his money, and that's saying a hell of a hell of a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, there's parts on this actually. I mean, one thing I like about it, um, it's very kind of dusky and dark. It's got. Um, I think Mike Patton has touched on this a lot over the over his 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 career. Is that kind of spaghetti western native american feel to it definitely which i really like the kind of as you you mentioned the violins and sort of the the, the kind of post the electro post rock um soundscape bits um but when he goes when Patton goes mental like when he does that kind of squelchy screaming like on soliloquy oh uh, there's a bit where he does that kind of old prospector voice when he does we'll talk inside a dream it's classic it's kind of whatever classic mike Patton means and i'm not even sure <laughs> what it could mean because it could mean so many so many things but do it does you mean seem the like more, kind of classic pattern do you mean the more crooner-esque yeah the kind of croon, style the kind of crazed frothing croon to scream thing mm -hmm. that he does mm -hmm. um but also like i say there's a lot of chant like kind of almost native american chanting on this there's a lot of very whim not not whimsical but there's a lot of kind of wistful high ethereal folky stuff on it as well and i think the kind of interesting thing about this record and i don't know if it succeeds or fails because of it is because i think this is one of the few records maybe the only record that features mike Patton where Mike Patton is not the most captivating and interesting thing about the record. Oh, wow. Okay. What do you think is the most captivating thing about the record? Well, I think there's some really amazing off-kilter jazz parts, that kind of spidery electronic parts that hit you, like jab you like you're sparring with Muhammad Ali and sort of post-rock spacey, haunting lingua ignota someone had a go at me for saying linguita so lingua ignota if she was just kind of miffed rather than broken um all of the kind of atmospheric surrounding it i think actually sit atop of mike Patton in this record i don't think he dominates it in the way that he's dominated a lot of the other records that he's featured on it's normally like here's mike Patton. And there's some other stuff going on as well. I know what you mean. In the majority of Mike Patton projects, he is the weirdest esoteric element of it. 
Mm. And in this, it feels like he is matched by the music as well. Yeah. And as a result, he sits a little bit further back in it than he would and say a bungle or a face no more or a phantomus or whatever. Uh, yes, yes, I, I, I understand what you're saying. And I think broadly, I agree. Um, I think he's the most impressive thing on it. Um, just because arguably he's arguably the greatest vocalist of all time. Yeah, I think he's always going to be the most kind of the most <clears throat> impressive in terms of the ability to do the things that mm. he does something that no one else can do. Mm. I mean, as, as as great as all the other soundscape parts and instrumentation parts are, you've heard people make weird noises out of instruments like this before exactly there yeah. isn't really anyone else who can do the thing that mike Patton does exactly and he's been doing it for 30 years now and you almost think right well well that's just what mike Patton sounds like but when you put it like that well and i'd yeah. i'd say as a showcase for an incredible forward-thinking vocalist who's never been blighted by outsider influence and remains a true visionary, as you say, almost th uh, over 30 years into his, well, over 30 years into his career, really. I think this is an incredible showcase um, as an album that I'd sit down and listen to from beginning to end. I'd be surprised, honestly, if I ever go back to it, really. Yeah, me too. Mm. I mean, I'm to sort of sum it up. I don't really have a lot more to say about it other than that, really. Um, other than I think there's two types of Mike Patton albums. There are ones that you genuinely love and that you kind of carry with you forever. Mick Gas, California, Corpse Flower, Irony is a Dead Scene, Peeping Tom, all of the Faith No More back catalogue. And then there are ones you kind of admire from afar, mm -hmm. but never really go back to. So for me, Disco Volante, The Director's Cut, Dead Cross, Oddfellows, Mondo Kane, I would probably put this album in with those records yeah. than I would the first group of records. Yeah. It'll yeah. be something that I go, isn't Mike Patton really, really talented? Like the amount of times I've tried with the director's cut by Phantomers and I always go, everything about this is great apart from having to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is by far on the more esoteric end of the, you know, Mike Patton projects. It's by far one of his more unconventional um, projects. I think the first time I listened to this, Steve, I really didn't feel all that well. Um, it might have been because I just listened to the uh, Jorgen Quigg album as well, but we'll get onto that in a moment. But I didn't feel well at all listening to this. And when I got to track six, Milked Out Million, I actually had to pause it. And I think if I hadn't paused it, I think I might have been sick. Yeah, it's a, it's an undertaking for mm. sure. Mm. Mm. Um, Flatliner's Owl is track eight. It's one minute and 18 seconds in length. And I think it's scarred me for life. Um, it's just so <laughs> freaky. Um, yeah it's weird as fuck yeah there are some moments where it's punctuated with really peculiar quirks and hooks that somehow latch themselves into your memory banks i'm thinking of a song like dead still which comes immediately after flatliners owl which weirdly hasn't 
odd off kilter vocal hook to it which is actually quite <laughs> quote unquote catchy but i don't really want to talk about the melodicism or catchiness of this record anymore because i would be giving definitely the wrong impression even saying the word catchy i feel like i've given the wrong impression i think maybe it was just because it became straight after flatliners owl it was such a relief to hear something vaguely pertaining to melody <laughs> that i was just like oh wow something yeah. i can hook on to i think yeah. this is a, a, an amazing experimental avant-garde album and i'm really pleased that it exists but i and and, and you know what if if someone said to me, never really um, understood the appeal of Mike Patton, I, I don't really understand why he is considered an amazing vocalist. In terms of wanting to show people the technical ability and voices of Mike Patton, this would be a brilliant record to show them. But it wouldn't, yeah, it would actually. But it wouldn't be a great record to show them for, oh, Mike Patton has written some banging fucking tunes. Check this out. Necroscape by Tetama. No. No, it's not the one, is it? No. no. But I mean, hey, you know, he's Mike Patton, so you kind of... He's earned the right to do whatever the fuck he wants to do. Absolutely. And you've got to take the kind of rough with the smooth with yeah. him, I think. Yeah. You know, like you can't expect to love everything. In the last few years, I mean, that Corpse Flower album, I, I still play all the time. I think it's fucking brilliant. So I'm sort of taking that as a, there's your one. If this is the sort of, eh, then I'm hoping we get something excellent. I'm hoping it's a Faith No More album as well. Mm. Um, I'm hoping we get something excellent next. Mm. But there is so much, so much to go into. I actually Googled because I was like, when I thought that, like, I wonder how what Mike Patton's discography would look like if it was just everything was Mike Patton. And there is the Mike Patton discography page on Wikipedia. And you look through it and you're like, fucking hell, the amount of people he's worked with, what type of bands he's worked with, what type of artists he's worked with, the different genres, the different genres he's gone into, the different places that he's... It's absolutely maddening, mm -hmm. the, the career the guy's had. Yeah. Uh, it's It's got to be the most eclectic career in the history of popular music. Someone, I'm sure it's still around and it's probably quite easily Google, Googleable, but someone made a kind of flowchart of all of Mike Patton's records and what year they came out and how they related to the other projects and all this sort of thing. And when I was getting into Mike Patton, I actually had that as my desktop image for like two years, just as a means of like, right, I've checked out this side of Mike Patton. Where do I want to go now? Do I want to try something a bit weirder? Do I want to try something really experimental? Do I just want something a bit more immediate and accessible? Um, and it was a hell of a flow chart with a lot of interesting, lots of different colors, uh, you know, to designate different sort of styles of his career. I'll, if I, if I can find it, I'll do a quick search for it. If I can find it, we'll uh, tweet it out or uh, yeah. put on social. I mean, I am, um, I consider myself to be a pretty, pretty big Mike Patton. I mean, Faith No More are basically my sort of second favorite band ever. And, I consider myself to be a very, very big Mike Patton fan. But even I had no idea how much shit he'd done with John Zorn. Like I was yeah. on the Wikipedia page. I was like, fucking hell, he's done all this stuff. I knew he'd done a fair bit with him, but it's a lot more than even I was aware of. So, yes, um, feels like we've trodden this path many, many times, but Mike Patton is good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he's... <laughs> um, he's although this good. album... It is not so good, but not bad either. You know, it's not rubbish no. by any stretch of the imagination. And do you know what? Even if I did think it was rubbish, I ain't telling you lot. 
I would never say any, I ain't telling anyone that anything Mike Patton's ever done is rubbish I was just lying so I pretend I liked it because it's Mike Patton in it anyway but that is my genuine thoughts are it's not so great uh, this is uh, Necroscape by Tatema which is our final record of the week for us to review and it leads us on to the fourth entry into Broken Records um, which so far we have three albums sitting um well, one album sitting quite far apart from two other records. So last week we spoke about Lou Reed's Metal Machine Music. Comfortably, we would say the most artistically uh, valid and interesting record of the uh, of, of the three that we had done up until that point. The other two being Streets and Sky by The Enemy and Graveyard Classics Volume 2 by Six Feet Under, which currently stands as the worst record in the world but it's early days isn't it Renfrey it's very very early days and it brings us to Owen Quigg and his self-titled well it's by Owen Quigg but the album's called Eogan Quigg Uh, (laughs) (laughs) how long are you going to keep this up uh, the debut and mercifully only solo album from the bronze-placed runner-up of 2008's X Factor. Uh, Quig's album was released on the 6th of April 2009, basically three and a half months after he was just some 16-year-old kid on a TV talent show. Shout out like a fucking Big Mac to capitalise on and squeeze out of as much money of them uh, that they could possibly make out of just some random little man. Uh, the debut <laughs> single, 28,000 Friends, um, which was written by Matt Bourne from Busted. Uh, and apparently Busted were a very, very big inspiration for this for this album. Yeah, so I've, says I've, the organ. I've met Matt Bourne from uh, Busted. Have you? Uh, I've met Charlie from Busted. I've met Charlie. We've all met Charlie. All right, fucking sorry. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, debut single 28,000 Friends peaked at number 96 in the UK singles chart before the album was released. Um, when the album was released in his native Ireland, it knocked Lady Gaga off the top of this charts. So it went in at number one. Does but in the link? UK, um, it peaked at number 14. Shock. Uh, in, the, <laughs> in the UK. It was horribly reviewed. Gigwise put it at number one in its worst albums of 2009 list. Everyone who was anyone gave it a maximum of one star. And I've picked out two uh, different reviews from two very different sources to show just how... um, just how badly received this album was. Peter Robinson of The Guardian considered the record to be the worst in history and called it an album so bad that it would count as a new low for popular culture were it possible to class as either culture or popular. And the review from the website Pop Justice is as scathing as I thought it was possible to be when you are essentially a chirpy, lovely, shiny, happy, pop-loving website, saying it is an album entirely without merit, recorded so cheaply and with such little regard for the art of pop that the final product simply does not count as music and should not be included in the album chart. It was reviewed so badly that Eogan's dad had to come to the press and tell the press that they were bullies for treating his son in such a manner. Well, I'm sorry, Daddy Quig. The press weren't bullies. This is staggeringly, staggeringly fucking bad. Um, Renfrey. Mm. Now, just as a sort of opening gambit before we get right into it. uh, The X Factor. Did you and have you ever watched The X Factor? Um, It's been on when I've been in a room. 
Have I ever sat down and watched it? Yeah, there were one or two series where I would watch the auditions process because yeah. the only joy that I personally ever got out of X Factor was watching people who um, were under this misguided impression that they had an incredible voice when, as a matter of fact, they sounded like absolute dog shit. But as soon as I actually got into the competition proper, I would lose interest. But um, I reckon I did that two years in a row and then even got bored of the people who think that they're brilliant singers when they're not. So, mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I always, I would watch the audition process for much the same reason because he's just sort of in that kind of vaudevillian uh sort of carnival way of just like the freak show looking at people like look at them they're i'm better than them which is you know not a great reason to to watch anything really but i mean but um, it it is you know seeing do it seeing someone who thinks their talent like really really talented prove that they're not it just is it's just funny like that is funny yeah I mean, I always find it quite ironic that people like Danny Minogue and Louis Walsh were telling people that they weren't talented. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's like, well, what what have you ever done? Mm. Nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's that kind of seesaw to it. But ultimately, you know, um, uh, X Factor 2008 uh, was a funny one because my ex-girlfriend at the time who I was living with, she loved The X Factor and she loved watching The X Factor. And this particular year, for some reason, she was massively obsessed with it. Uh, Alexandra Burke won it, I believe. I think JLS finished second (coughs) and Eoghan finished third. Eoghan got really upset when Diana Vickers, who was his best mate, um, got kicked out and he cried on telly in front of everyone. I remember then thinking that he was quite annoying and he used what, to do that what thing. sort of guy was it was i mean he was 16 was he he was 16 he's just a little sort of you know he was a sort of proto justin bieber style character he's just a clean cut nice young kid okay although he did that he did that annoying thing when i said if you'd like to vote for Riogan, he'd do he'd like hand hold his oh, do the phone yeah, the yeah, beggy yeah. phone thing you know Absolutely. you ha- hold your hand up and you've got the like pretend you're, you're yeah. the receiver and then you point to it as if to say go on now you vote for me which i always thought was would make me not vote for you because how pathetic are you that you need to beg? Like, don't fucking beg. If I want to mm. vote for you, I'll vote for you, mate. I don't need you fucking begging. Pathetic. And that's so, what makes him a prick. <laughs> that is what makes him a prick. <laughs> um, but just so you know, so I watched a lot of this and I do remember this dude. Um, but just so you know, we, we're not going to be making a habit of reviewing records like this and talking about records like this. I saw this album pop up a lot when I was doing the research for what albums we should put in. If you look at any kind of worst album ever made list, it's usually on it. So I ignored it because I was like, it's a dude from the X Factor. He didn't even win the X Factor. He didn't finish second in the X Factor. Of Mm. course, it's going to be terrible. Mm. And then someone linked it to me when we put a shout out on Twitter for this feature. And I just decided to give it a listen. And I, I I was just stunned at how much contempt this shows for music. <laughs> I mean, I was genuinely shocked at just the level of shoddiness. Like, you know, when you watch a, a program like, you know, slum landlords and, you know, yeah. dodgy builders, you know, and you get like Dominic Littlewood, like going, look, we, this, yeah. we asked this person to build a, a, a fire pit for us. And he just covered some like 
and he just painted a potato the same color as a brick and yeah. left it in our back lawn and then Ro- they go chasing traders. after him. Yeah, rogue yeah, yeah, traders. Yeah. This is like the music industry equivalent of rogue traders. <laughs> it is meant to be an album, but then it is just I've never heard anything more phoned in mm. and shoddy in my entire fucking life. I think it absolutely shows contempt for any sort of creativity in music or for the thinking of music as an art form rather than a commodity that you can sell to people. Yes. But that's not completely unusual in pop. Well, no, it's not. No, exactly. You know, particularly this very, very mainstream sell me this at all costs pop music from the x factor that we're talking about pop music Um, aims for children basically yeah i mean people have been shitting out terrible terrible albums and terrible songs from vaguely talented people for god knows how long and when i say vaguely talented i mean vaguely really really vaguely talented um so (laughs) it's not like this is unique in in that respect, but I I think the level in which this is just like have you ever bought one of those karaoke CDs and it's or have you ever gone to karaoke and the karaoke backing track just sounds so wrong, doesn't it? It sounds just it just doesn't sound right. It sounds like, and I imagine a lot of those karaoke CDs were recorded in this manner. It sounds like someone has recorded the entire thing on a synthesizer. So I don't know if the karaoke version is Sweet Child O'Mine, they've selected the electric guitar patch on the keyboard or synthesizer and then just played the chords into it like that. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like that. It sounds cheap, Mm. basically. Cheap as fuck. (laughs) Cheap as fuck. And, I mean, the other thing that's shocking about this record is Auto-Tune was not just had been invented by this point. Auto-Tune was fairly sort of Reg, like a, a, you know a fairly regular thing to everyone knew that most people were now using auto-tune in pop right? music certainly yeah, yeah in yeah. pop music why wasn't it used either, on this either a why the <laughs> fuck didn't they use it in this or b if they did use it then what the hell did it really sound like yeah one can only imagine um weirdly this is a record that well as i said uh it sounds the foundations of it sound really really cheap but it feels like that they've recorded it in someone's bedroom using you know the most basic plugins and then sent it off to abbey road studios and said can you put some nice sauce on the top of it it's it's a really cheap nasty vanilla ice cream with the most luxurious chocolate marks and spencer's waitrose sauce poured on top of it because there are yeah orchestral bits and pieces that are done here and there and choir bits and pieces which suddenly come in that lift it up and make it well, i mean they they don't make it good but those bits <laughs> are, are, are produced they make it sound like an actual record yeah those bits are produced so well that they in comparison it is it's like putting a cherry on a piece of mud and saying there's your dessert you know i'm getting very eaty yeah. with my you are yeah yeah i'm obviously hungry. yeah yeah um i mean the th- thing is right so i I don't really want to shit on eorkin particularly i mean he's a 16 year old kid he got offered the chance to be a pop star he's never going to say no but why 
are people allowed to make? And who was it who was making such a shit show of his career? There are people within the industry, surely, who were making these decisions. And I don't, were sitting in a studio with him, who were trying, surely, to try and develop his career, to turn him into, in his head, is he going, well, I might be the next Will Young. You know, I might be, uh, I'm trying to think of who actually had made a success out of that show or, or any of those shows at that <clears> point. <throat> it was Girls really just at that point. Girls Allowed. Yeah, Girls, stars, Girls Allowed. Yeah, Girls Allowed. Yeah. Or could I do a Will Young? Could I do Girls Allowed? Like, surely that is what they were, should be aiming for. So why is this so shoddily put to, You know, why is every decision that has been made coming towards this album just been just dreadful like i i don't understand well my guess would be that at this point even 2008 x factor had probably lost enough cachet for them you know they would have shat out quite a few of these records at this point between yeah. x factors and pop stars which is x factor in all but name basically isn't it mm. um <clears throat> and i think you know several years on um and third place as well rather than first or second <laughs> yeah. i think they yeah. probably just went let's make this really cheap because the production the production stuff is where the money is bringing in an orchestra or a string quartet or a choir for half a day because they're professionals they can get their shit done really fucking quickly and so you're giving them a lot of money but you're only actually asking them to do half a day's work and and for this i imagine it would have been about half a day um but the producer who you're recording with you know you're recording for 10 days two weeks three weeks four weeks that's where you're pumping the money in so they've got that's what i mean by the absolute cheapest foundations um and try to put a really lovely uh mintberry sauce on top of it is mm. mintberry a thing no don't know I mean, there's a few things. I mean, I, I always is funny to me when you think of how many people probably would have wasted their money voting for him to win the X Factor. And then when he didn't, they just went, well, fuck you then. Like he, all these people voted for him. And then this album flopped completely because it was shit. But also because nobody bought it outside of Ireland. Um, that has always been a mystery to me, how you could be so obsessed and the whole country could get so wrapped up in who wins this fucking shitty like talent competition and then within <laughs> six months, they don't exist anymore. But Louis that's just... Walsh going, I don't care that Joe McEldry got to number two below Rage Against the Machine because Joe McEldry will be selling out stadiums and Rage Against the Machine will never be able to do that. And it's like, well, you know, 10 years on, Rage Against the Machine, headlining Coachella, Joe McEldry... Where probably like, it, yeah. yeah pushing fucking trolleys around asda yeah like but that's the nature of reality tv isn't it it is of i course, mean yeah. i mean everything you know i watch very 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 little reality tv the last reality show i watched to its conclusion was the new series of hunted on channel four and that finished a week and a half ago i can't remember who won i, d I just can't remember because it's information i've been following this thing for six weeks and i want to know who wins but the moment that i learn it it just goes out of my i'm like oh okay like the the, the conclusion is never satisfying to the point mm. where you remember it like you remember the ending of an amazing film or something like that 
And unfortunately, that's yeah. just the nature of reality TV. And when you're, you know, when when TV channels are absolutely stuffed with reality TV, I mean, this feels like a problem from five years ago, really, because it's not quite as bad as it used to be. But um, all that stuff just becomes noise, basically, and not information that you're really ever going to properly process, I don't think. That's absolutely what it is. Um, you know, we got, as I said, 28,000 Friends was the first uh, single from it, written by James Bourne from Busted. And it's a kind of proto, like, hey, social media, talking about how many friends he got on Facebook and mm. fucking, you know, probably the first time that anyone had done that. And it probably seemed really exciting, although it didn't because no one really gave a fuck about this song. <laughs> it's a bad song. But, you know, it was probably like, hey, you on Friends Reunited? Well, how do they really know you? Are they really your friends? Like, that's what the song's essentially about. It's unbelievably yeah. trite. Unbelievably trite. Weirdly um that song i don't think i don't think that song's a million miles away from jimmy world but it just goes to show how well jimmy world do that kind of um happy go lucky uh i don't know happy melodic rock um because yeah. it's jimmy world but without any class or songwriting nouse whatsoever um mm. it's it's crap it's fucking crap <laughs> it's crap i mean it's it's the, the thing about this record is is that you know yes i've heard stuff from x factor winners i've never heard anything apart from girls aloud i quite like girls aloud they are rubbish these these artists and these songs are they are rubbish they're always 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 rubbish i think some of the earlier ones maybe you might go like when when will young fucked off and did his own thing he was all right i think girls aloud have got some bangers um one Direction had some bangers, you know, like the biggest ones were kind of big. They got big because they probably were better than most of them, apart from Ollie Murs, uh, who's awful. <laughs> but but they are they are rubbish. But this is rubbish on a kind of. It's like this has been this album's been bitten by a radioactive Shane Ward or something. Do you know what I mean? It's that it's rubbish on a kind of nuclear level. It's even more rubbish than the worst kind of rubbish and it sounds so dated today because it's coming out from 12 years ago when it was supposed to be like um you know aping busted in 2008 probably felt like a really cool idea to yeah. you know some old record label executive who just didn't know anything about pop music and just wanted to make a load of money um, whereas now today it sounds just bizarre that you would do this and like i say i i don't want to actually shit on this kid right because it's not his fault right to sum this up he's just a dude with a pretty bad voice and quite a nice haircut who's just been fucked <clears> over <throat> by simon cowell the real villains here are the people that put him in that position and basically left him out to dry James Bourne from Busted chucking in some bullshit social media based love song from his reject pile on 28,000 Friends. Whoever the fuck let him cover Ben by Michael Jackson and oh. open it a cappella when he just does not have the voice or the ability no. to do that. Whoever produced and arranged the just fucking inept cover of Never Forget by Take That, which mm -hmm. is so. That song, like, I. It's brilliant. Know, we reviewed me take that last year. I bloody loved take that, that song, break. and that is a is great, fucking song. great. Yeah, it's fucking great. And again, you know, much like the sort of six feet under 
doing ACDC, like he just strips it of all the joy is just been completely stripped from it. It is like watching take that. It's like going to take that concert, but they take, you know, all the ba- all the dancers are told to fuck off. All the the fireworks are gone. All the backing band are gone. You've just got an empty stage, and the rest of take that's just Howard left, and he's just wearing like his dressing gown, singing it. It's, it's like there's nothing good about it at all. It's and it's Butlins. fun. This is Butlins. It's absolutely awful. I mean, for me, this record, it's not just bad or odd or misguided or poorly produced. To me, this is this is morally reprehensible <laughs> and shameful that you would take a 16-year-old kid's life and passion and give it such little care as this. This is a disgusting insight into the murkiest, muckiest parts of the music industry. It is genuinely evil. This isn't just a bad album. This is child abuse. Whoa. There's the title. Um, although I <laughs> although I agree with pretty much everything you're saying, the one thing you haven't said, which I think sums it up a little bit better, is actually this album isn't bad. It's amateurish. It's put together and cobbled together in such an amateurish manner and in such a let's just let's not throw 500 let's not throw money at the 500 pound a day producer let's throw money at the 200 pound a day producer let's get everything in as cheap as possible because we know full well that the most we're going to get out of this kid is one record because he's not good enough for two and we're trying to ride this wave since he's had a little bit of success at getting third place in our shitty competition every year and we're going to try and shit this out as quickly as we can and make money on it and it failed um because Mm. this album didn't do well at all it wasn't just critically mauled i mean you said those chart positions earlier didn't you single peaking at number 96 in the uk single chart i'm pretty sure they would have hoped to do better than that album charting at number 14 right i suppose but it dropped out after three weeks it's all right if you're you know, newfound glory or something. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah, not yeah, great exactly. if you're if you're on primetime telly for for three months. Sorry. Yeah, and the debuting at number one on the Irish charts is just an outlier because he's Irish. Um, I think it's just every single path on this album that is taken is sort of the least amount of resistance to get to where they want. the The sheer number of key changes on this album is embarrassing, and key change to me. 99% of the time signals a heightening of emotion uh and it's mm. and it's a shortcut route to try and kind of lift a song um and the fact that re- I, I i think if i became if i became prime minister steve my first port of call would be no more than one key change per album uh, for all musicians, because it's such seems a... reasonable. <laughs> it seems, yeah, vote for me, um, because it's totally unnecessary, and it just it comes across as really embarrassing. Because I think after a while, you realise this is just a shortcut to try and uh, meddle with my emotions. And obviously, all art is there to meddle with your emotions, but you sort of wanted to do it in a subtle way that doesn't seem apparent. But whereas 
when you get a key change, it's like someone screaming in your face, this is becoming more emotional now. Um, it's like the people in films who come on and and do all the like recap of what we... Mr. President, have you heard? We have to get to the moon in, in two hours. Otherwise, <laughs> they said they're going to... And you're like, oh, yes, yeah, so that's what's happening right the now. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's exactly that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It's shit. Fucking shit. Like, absolute shit. And there aren't really any other albums from this world, particularly, uh, that are in the hat. But this one is because apparently it is the worst one. And if it isn't, then Lord only knows what could possibly be worse than this. Um, where, are you, where are you ranking it at the moment, Renfrey? I've thought long and hard about this. About five minutes. And I think this should go second between Ooh. Six Feet Under and The Streets. The reason for that... The enemy, not The Streets. Fuck, sorry. <laughs> fucking street <laughs> that i promise you that was freudian um uh the reason for that is because it doesn't succeed at what it's set out to do i.e make lots of people in suits money so it is a failure of an album i think that is a fact uh so it's already better than heavy uh it's already be better than metal machine music because um that did do what it set out to do i think who knows what yeah, that was. Uh, but, you know. yeah. um, I think it's better than The Enemy. I, I, I don't know. This album made me feel physically... Better than The Enemy? I do think, think it's better, better than, than The Enemy. enemy. Yeah. Um, I found The Enemy album just incredibly dull and badly put together. This actually made me feel physically sick. It's so sickly. Oh, so worse. You mean worse? Oh, so yeah. This is this is gonna get really confusing, isn't it? Because when I say better, I mean a better chart position, which actually means it's worse. Oh right. Uh, yeah. But say yes, worse. Say worse. Worse. It's worse. Worse than the enemy because, yeah, this made me feel physically ill listening to it. It's so sickly, and it's it's that really sickly pop that is aimed directly at children. You know, we are. This is aimed at seven, eight, nine-year-olds, isn't it? I guess so. Yeah. Like this, uh, which kind of makes the whole enterprise even worse. But it's 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 that kind of horrible, sickly pop that I really despise. Um, and yeah, it's it's only about half an hour long this record, but I really genuinely felt very ill the whole way through it. I no so how how come it's uh it's getting you know not getting a top spot uh, ahead of six feet under then how come it's quote unquote better than six feet under you mean yeah um fuck that's a really good question i did have an answer to this when i thought about it for five minutes but i thought about it for five minutes yesterday uh <laughs> i just do you want me to tell you why i think six yeah feet yeah under is yeah you, t you tell me because undoubtedly lou reed is far 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 superior to this yeah the enemy i think again you know it's just a pretty crap record yeah. um six feet under is awful right let's get <laughs> no, no bones about it it is fucking diabolical it's stupid and all the things you said about it rubbish right but it's not hurting anyone 
It's not actually hurting <laughs> anyone. I don't think it, you know, Six Feet Under did not need to recover from this. This did not ruin them, did not ruin their career. I don't think Six Feet Under made that album with any kind of nefarious, um, underhand, sort of quite gross undertones of making it it's a stupid idea it's not a very funny joke it's really badly made it doesn't work by any stretch of the imagination but it's just a sort of silly thing to do owen quigg's self-titled album is everything that is appalling about the music industry it is every underhand nefarious nasty like you say lazy bottom feeding parasitic thing that the music industry represents to me the the people that were dealing with him and that put this album out shat this out and made money out of it, it and it, it is a document of the mo of, of disgusting parasites and for that i would put it at as the worst album we have covered so far but then i feel sorry for owen or eoggin as you call him because when eoggin hears that a we've been pronouncing his name wrong this whole time and b he won't hear this he's a footballer now <laughs> i'm gonna send it to him um oh, i'm not i'm mean. not going to because that would be me um i it kind of yeah it kind of makes me feel bad for him in a way whereas the members of six feet under i think should know better which is sort of why i want to give them the top spot mm. and also i think the people around Yogan quig I mean, they may well have been evil cunts, but they might not have been either. They might have just been people who wanted to use this kid to make some money. And that's Yeah, but I think shit. that's a pretty shitty thing to do. They, it's shitty. It's fucking they, shitty. You, you think Simon Cowell is a nice person? Is that what you're getting? You're no. Like, you know, he's, he's had the best intentions for this person. No, no, no. I think I think if you do it with the tenacity and the um, just the sheer amount of times that Simon Cowell has done it, you're probably an evil person. I think some people trying to get in, but but Simon Cowell dropped him. The, this was actually released through RCA, um, so this isn't actually uh, anything to do with Simon Cowell in the end, even though it was his. Yeah. Uh, he did so, sign to Psycho immediately uh, initially, and then he got yeah. dropped for this. Yeah, and then he right. got dropped for this. So, which you know, well, that's even more. That's even, even worse. More like like <laughs> kind of plucking at the corpse of like vultures, kind of picking at the corpse of this kid's career that's not even started yet. Well, that, that makes it feel even worse. That sounds yeah. I mean, I agree. That sounds to me like it's someone going, "Oh, we thought we'd be able to make money from you, but you're so shit that we can't, so we're dropping you." <laughs> you know, um, but I don't know. I suppose maybe I'm just looking at the actual result of the record rather than the circumstances around it. I it's a tough one as well because what this record has and what Six Feet Under have in both cases are genuinely brilliant songs, songs which is why yeah. i think both yeah. of these records probably will end up not being at the, the bottom one. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you've got ben by michael jackson you've got never forget by take that you've got um does your mother know by abba like there's some actual i mean yeah. and obviously you've got the entirety of back in black but there's something i don't know i just feel like there's like weirdly considering you're talking about a death metal band there's a kind of naive innocence to six feet under in comparison with this which feels hyper cynical to me 
it's i think this is a far more cynical record i listen i don't listen to six feet under and go oh my god look at them trying to make like treating art as commerce whereas owen quigg is is like a kind of an audio atm or at least they thought it would be like let's put as little money as in, in as we can and try and make as much back and that is the sole reason for it existing and i just can't get on board with that i that think would be why i'd have it as number one but uh, to counter that i'd say i think it's a cynical move from absolutely everybody involved in making this album apart from owen quigg which is why i almost feel like it should be second are we gonna have to put this to a vote renfrey on our um, facebook page i wonder if we should yeah um i mean that does mean that people are gonna have to listen to these two records <laughs> which is just such a shitty thing to do to people it's a shitty but, thing to do to people when we're asking them to listen to us every week uh god can we be that cruel um just give i tell you what just give if we just say let's go but okay here's how we decide it on acapella bits alone what is the worst acapella bit over the two albums because you've got <laughs> what do you do for chris barnes going what do you do for money honey or you've got eog and quig going doing ben by michael why, jackson why is that the deciding factor <laughs> because i think those two bits kind of represent the like what the fuck are you doing um, not the bit in both sure. where you go what are you doing why did you think this is a good idea by that criteria i would still say six feet under that's the only thing so that doesn't help your case no, um, and I have to say, I mean, I've I did it without thinking, and I think it's probably <laughs> a fair way to, to come to some sort of resolution. And in that respect, yes, Chris Barnes going <laughs> is probably just about worse than hearing Eogan going, "You and I, let's take a theater. What's the word? So, can I throw in okay. one more argument as well for putting? Eogan second uh due to the aforementioned accoutrements that this record has i.e the gospel choir bits and the lovely orchestral bits there are bits on this record that are fantastically done they're you know the sort of thing which an abbey road engineer would be able to do in his sleep or her sleep apologies but you know they (laughs) you're just giving me a smile of like you woke fuck um but uh uh, but um that but there is good craftsmanship on this record because of the things that incredibly talented people could just shit out in an afternoon do you know what i mean where six feet under doesn't actually have a second of that no you've actually fine you've convinced me i mean i don't know how because i think this album is pure evil it's like mark commode says about people who make horror films are some of the nicest people but the people Mm. who make kind of nice romantic comedies are horrible horrible. (laughs) kind of feel like this about eogan's album um but yeah you could say that about the music industry generally yeah so there you go um six feet under keeps its crown for another week uh, and Eogan Quig uh, is the second worst album um, with The Enemy. I think The Enemy are, are safe for a little bit from... 
the enemy actually feels all right in comparison to this rate the enemy as we go on at this rate the enemy aren't going to be getting into the top 10 by the time this thing's over (laughs) and way 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 in the distance (laughs) waving probably shrugging going why am i even here is uh lou reed's metal machine music but they're going to be joined by a fifth album and i'm putting my hand in the hat full of shit right now renfrey to pick out the album that we're going to be doing next week and next week we will be doing Oh, I'm not really familiar with this record, but it has been very poorly received. One by Dirty Vegas. Okay. Okay. Do you know anything about that record? Absolutely zilch. Okay. Well, um, I know it got some pretty bad reviews, but next week we're going to be talking about One by Dirty Vegas, and we will be reviewing new albums from, I don't actually know, loads of people. Do you know? Yes, I do. Um, He doesn't. Okay, the ones that we'll definitely be doing are Azusa, Versudefa, and probably Traps. Hopefully the new Strokes. Maybe Sparta. Oh, yeah. Maybe Brant yep. Bjork. We've got a lot to choose from next week and we haven't narrowed it down. But that's okay, stuff cool. that's coming out next week. All right, well, we'll be doing one of them and but we might even have some news. Who knows? You know, we probably won't. At that point, <laughs> no, probably not. What are we, two weeks into quarantine? Yeah lockdown Oof. at the moment so we yeah. might have we, we might be allowed out next week you know we we will have um released some other bits and pieces for you though i absolutely promise you my computer is working again yeah. and it's running like a dream and i am super happy about getting on some editing mm-hmm. and what that means is part one of pink floyd's the wall coming for patrons over at, at patreon.com forward slash riot podcast and we're going to stop now and go and actually do we're going to do a, a little um, writer's review for you as well. We're going to do that and record that right now. Uh, go over to musicism.net, type in Riot in the checkout if you want to get 25% off of all of your courses. Do that in the capitals as well. And we'll be back next week with everyone from The Strokes to Dirty Vegas. I don't really know anything about the record. Exciting to find a new record that's bad, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's why we do this feature. It's why we do this <laughs> yeah, show. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Anyway, see you next week, everyone. Bye.